I think working with kids and families is such a privilege because you get to work with a complete system. And so much of what happens in general in it, working with pediatric populations is that the child or the adolescent might think that they are responsible for the challenges that they're facing. And that creates a whole other complex shame, guilt that complicates the healing process. Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Understanding the Human Condition. I'm your host, Dr. James Flowers, and I am super excited today to have my new friend, Apro Chowdhury, with us. Apro, how are you? I'm doing good. I just celebrated a birthday yesterday trying to stay cool yeah yeah do you uh, mind the number what's the number yeah the number is 30 <laughs> yes so officially an adult now Absolutely. I, I can begin my career yeah. yeah so do you feel different at 30 years old versus two days ago it, it felt like a tuesday honestly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i went to work i got to work with a young girl at texas children's where mm. i'm a mind body interventionist and you know, it was a lovely way to start the day with service. Yeah. And absolutely. then and I ended the day having a conversation with some folks in Uvalde, Texas, where Amazing. I've been working over the last year. Yeah. Bringing mind-body medicine, mind-body practices to a small group of clinicians. Yes. Who are working and have been working. Kind of frontline yeah, clinicians. Exactly. Yeah. It's, first it's, responding. Yeah. It's the backbone of primary care in that community. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, it was a day of service. So, you came in. I think that's an amazing way to celebrate any birthday, yeah. number one. Yeah. But your 30th birthday is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I remember, I still remember my 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and you will always remember your 30th birthday, and you get to say you did it with service. That's really super cool. Yeah. So, you came in to J Flowers Health Institute a few weeks ago just mm -hmm. to do a tour because you were intrigued and you wanted to know a little bit about what you're doing or what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And you told us about your career at Texas Children's Hospital, which I'm blown away by. At 30 years old, you've done all the things that you've done. And we invited you back for this podcast. So I want to read for our audience just, you know, APRO is a mind-body interventionist focusing on integrative behavioral health consultancy and public health with six years of experience empowering traumatized clinical populations whole communities and healthcare institutions. He's really very skilled at building relationship-driven partnerships that activate our capacity to heal trauma, understand ourselves, and face challenges with practical and accessible mind-body skills, which is the backbone of my philosophy as well, right? Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned Uvalde. Mm -hmm. And I just saw that one of the moms that is traumatized from her daughter, I think, being killed that day is running for mayor. 
and you're doing so much work there and mm -hmm. she's trying to create change in yeah. the city as well and really in the world. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your work in Uvalde and what you've been doing. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I have to start with just a moment to honor the community in Uvalde and, and give thanks and gratitude for their trust. Yeah. And so much of the work and any of the work that we do through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine when we work with communities that have been traumatized is that building trust mm -hmm. and getting to know each other, mm -hmm. just like we're getting to do yeah. now, right? And I can imagine it's very similar in certain ways to the work that you get to do at J Flowers mm -hmm. in getting to know your clients and their families. And, and so that's what we did over the first years, really getting to know these folks and hearing their stories and coming from a place of invitation. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what we have to offer. This is the work that we've done, and this is the way we've worked with whole communities mm -hmm. before. And it's been a gentle process of introducing what mind-body medicine is mm -hmm. and showing how we can practically integrate mind-body medicine into what we're already doing. So it's not saying that you forget about everything you've learned, forget about your education or how you work with mm -hmm. patients. It's not that. It's what you're already doing and then finding moments of ease, you know, finding a moment of connection with yourself, mm -hmm. with how you're feeling. A lot of it has been connecting with uneasiness, mm -hmm. with discomfort. And so a lot of this work has been around giving people tools, simple tools that they then get to decide how they bring it into their life, whether it's in the clinic, at home with their kids. And, and so the, over the last year, we've really built up a strong foundation of understanding. And now this fall, we're going to get to go back and do some workshops. And then in the winter, we'll do a kind of intensive five-day training Amazing. with about 100 people there. And they'll get to really experience a small group model, practice skills, mm -hmm. learn a lot. And then they're positioned to then lead the work in the community mm -hmm. from people who are already committed, who are already natural leaders, who are already, you know, amazing clinicians, mm -hmm. then get to decide what this looks like. What an amazing service opportunity. How did you decide that that was going to be one of your really service-oriented activities? Well, you know, it, the, all of that work kind of happened on accident. Mm -hmm. And it's, let's rewind back to 2017, mm -hmm. back here in, in Houston mm -hmm. after Harvey. Yeah. And at that time, I was convinced that I was going to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. So Harvey happens, and then there's this kind of a call to join this psychosocial disaster response. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, told myself, this is going to look really good on my med school application. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, they're going to see that I go out and do community yeah. service. And yeah. Yeah. And I sit in this training and it's the work that we're now doing in Evaldi. Yeah. It's coming together, sharing what needs to be mm -hmm. shared. No one's diagnosing you. No one's trying to fix you. We're coming together as humans mm -hmm. and we're teaching skills that help us connect more deeply to what's happening mm -hmm. in that moment, right? And that's a lot of what mind-body medicine is. Sure. And so that experience kind of cracked me open in the best way possible. Yeah. And, I, you know, needless to say, I never went to med school and, and this you found really... found your calling. This, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. I wish I had known you back then and introduced you to my niece, Marie Earthman, because even today she's traumatized from mm. Harvey. She and her husband and children live, or one child at that time, live about four or five blocks from Bray's Bayou. Mm. And she was a little over eight and a half months pregnant Goodness. when Harvey hit. Yeah. And then, you know, the flood came and they walked out of their house in the middle of the night and the water was just at the top of the stairs. Yeah. And her house was five or six feet off the ground, right? Yeah. And then water was coming up to the top of the stairs and there was no one around to help. Not right. at all. Right. And she, to this day, is still feels trauma mm -hmm. and in pretty bad, heavy rainstorm. Yeah. They moved into a penthouse of a high rise. They right. sold their right. house. And yeah. literally, she chose the penthouse because she knew it wouldn't flood or right. felt like it wouldn't flood. Right. And she did, ultimately did some trauma work and some work around that. but. Mm -hmm. You know, just think of the millions of people in Houston that were traumatized from that flood that still experience that. So right. that's pretty amazing that that was what sparked your interest yeah. in doing this line of work. Yeah. And, you know, those floods still live on in the collective consciousness and unconscious kind of yeah. field yeah. within Houston. Mm -hmm. And there's many different kinds of traumas mm -hmm. that live on and are just below the surface or impacting us. Mm -hmm. And so this, this work, you know, when we start connecting to what's going on, how we're feeling, what is the message that our body is trying to communicate mm -hmm. to us that, you know, as we get more familiar with that process, mm -hmm. it pays incredible dividends mm -hmm. to any kind of therapeutic work that you might mm -hmm. be doing. And so that's why this has been so easy and so sensible to integrate into the kind of work that we might do in, right. in, as uh, behavioralists mm -hmm. and clinicians. That's so, right. So, yeah. Absolutely. And then you put into that a pregnant female, right? Yeah. And guess what? That trauma can pass down to the child as well, the unborn child, yeah. because her nervous system was responding so severely to that flood that generational trauma occurs even through right. an event like that. Absolutely. And that's, you know, really the work that Rachel Yehuda and Felitti kind of pioneered looking at what is actually happening on a cellular a genetic yes. level mm -hmm. and how are these wounds that happen within our lifetimes mm -hmm. carried on that's right and whether our lineage knows about it or not mm -hmm. uh, and that's a whole other story exactly it, it, we could do a whole five hours on yeah, that or yeah. more yeah. So, but it's real and so this wisdom and you might be familiar with it kind of comes from the indigenous mm -hmm. traditions and it points to when we do healing work mm -hmm. we're impacting seven generations behind us and seven generations ahead of us yeah and it it kind of makes me really think about what are the conditions necessary mm -hmm. for us to be able to do that kind of work mm -hmm. and what can we as clinicians do to support somebody's journey and so mind body medicine is just one part of the sure. the wide range of things that we need to attend to when we're working with people or whole communities absolutely yeah talk a little bit more about i was literally just talking about this yesterday with my niece and the seven generations behind us right and yeah you know we both come from a very traumatized family a very traumatized background and the amount of trauma that goes back 
generation after generation and how that affects the next seven to 10 generations. Talk a little bit more about your understanding of that generations prior to us and the generations after us. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if we have enough time to do a comprehensive history of all the ways humans have been traumatized. Mm -hmm. I think there's plenty going on right now for Mm -hmm. us to just get a sense of how we might be impacted Mm -hmm. just right now. And to think back to all the past suffering, the wars that are continuing and kind of, you know, as I think about it from a macro perspective, it's those past sufferings and those past traumas and the fact that they have not been resolved is why certain things are kind of continuing and why we're seeing these cycles and seeing these things that are happening you know day to day amongst within families or within communities are happening on a global scale on a global too. scale exactly and so how that impacts us into the future when it comes to our health it's very clear that there are serious epigenic concerns when trauma happens. And this can exacerbate, you know, conditions that you're predisposed to. Mm -hmm. So one way to think about this is that there is traumatic stress Mm -hmm. and traumatic stress. When that happens, it kind of sets off a cascade Mm -hmm. of different functions within the body that are actually natural and adaptive and protective. And many of these functions are inflammatory in nature. Right. So what we're really looking at is stress or trauma leading to inflammation. And then that inflammation kind of creates a condition within the body that makes us more susceptible to any kind of disease, any kind of environmental influence. Our diet becomes more affected. Mm -hmm. So really looking at this from a kind of a whole person, whole human perspective. And so these things also create So that's what's happening physiologically. And then interestingly, biobehaviorally, right? Looking at kind of how we navigate Mm -hmm. through the world and how it's talking about personal philosophy, how we are making the most and doing the best with what we have, right? So a lot of what we're inheriting, for example, this trauma preconditions us to operating within certain kinds of patterns of behavior Absolutely. Which sometimes get pathologized. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can operate with those patterns of behaviors functionally, and we don't need a diagnosis or we don't meet the conditions for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But those patterns of behavior may still be causing harm, may still be leading to impacts within us or around us, within our families, within our work that might need to be examined. Absolutely. The way in which we interact with others throughout the day, Mm -hmm. whether it's with our patients and what our patients tell us, whether it's with our families when we go home, whether it's really with anyone, right? Mm -hmm. It's in our subconscious. It's in our tissue. Right. It's in our, as you said, it's at the cellular level. Right. And learning how to work with that and Mm -hmm. understand it is a process. Yes, and it's a practice. It is a practice. That's a much better word than a process. (laughs) It is an ongoing practice. It is. Of really understanding what is in our subconscious mind and how it affects every movement and thought we have throughout the day. So what's in our subconscious mind and then what's living in ourselves Mm -hmm. and how that also is signaling 
to us sending messages. And that's a lot of what mind-body medicine allows us to look at and interact with, is this process that's already happening. Right. Right. So now we get to engage with it. And when we engage with it, we are able to become more regulated physiologically, Mm -hmm. psychologically become more regulated. In plain speak, what more regulated means is we feel better. That's right. Yeah. And feeling better is really important for doing anything. We hope that's the ultimate goal. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And And it helps us understand what we need to understand. Yes. When we are feeling better. And so a lot of that work is about getting people to install those programs so that they can do it for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so we're uninstalling viruses mm-hmm. and installing new healthy programs, new ways of thinking, new ways of navigating reality, literally training your mind and implementing these fundamental principles of neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what the hope is. Yeah. I was just reading before you came in that you know we have more than 100 billion neurons in the adult human brain. And we have the power to retrain those neurons. Right. And it goes from everything from chronic pain syndrome, yeah. to false signals of pain. Mm-hmm. It goes to our depression. It goes mm-hmm. to our really dreams and what we want to do in our life. And believing that we can change negative into a positive. Yeah. And yeah. achieving whatever it is that we want in life. Right, yeah. right, right. And what's so fascinating about mindfulness as a tool that we can implement into our daily life, into our healing journey. And what makes mindfulness different than relaxation or hypnosis or acupuncture is that mindfulness is actually, and we've been able to look at this through very recent advanced neuroimaging technologies, Mm -hmm. fMRI-based technologies, and this is research, if anybody's interested, this is research coming out of the Zidane, Z-E-I-D-A-N lab in UCSF. Fadl's a good friend, and he's an eminent neuroscientist, chronic pain researcher. Sure, that's right. The Department of Anesthesiology yeah. there. And so some of this research is pointing to how mindfulness actually operates on a part of the brain, which is the hypothalamus. And this is a part of the brain that essentially connects the external world. So what we're perceiving through all our senses and then, and it connects that to our sense of self. That's right. So me, you know, James Apro. And so that bridge is what is being impacted when we practice mindfulness. And what it's actually doing is it's kind of turning down the volume of the signal of the hypothalamus right, and it's diminishing our ability to engage in Mm self-referential processes. Mm -hmm. So we're less able to identify with our meanness. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I'll just leave it at that. And kind of, I'm curious to hear what you think about that. I live it the same way you do every single day, you know, and my background and training is in chronic pain, really working Mm -hmm. with complex individuals who have chronic disease processes and chronic pain. And it's part of what we teach here every day to our patients. And it's Mm -hmm. part of my, at the cellular level Mm -hmm. and what I believe. And, you know, mine goes from 
you know, looking at the gate control theory of pain from Melzack and Wall at the University of Washington to his research at yeah. ESF. Yeah. And really looking at the work, the same similar work we're yeah. doing, at, they're doing really at Stanford University. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that back in 1962, mm -hmm. that this was just coming out in the early 60s when Melzack and Wall started talking about the gate control theory of pain. And then it just continued to evolve into neuroplasticity and everything that we're talking about today. Yeah. So I could talk about this. We could be, sit here all day long and yeah. continue to do this. I want to know before we have to go. Sure. I want to know what you're doing with this amazing knowledge that you have, this incredible depth of knowledge and mind-body work. What are you doing with this with children and mm. families mm -hmm. at Texas Children's Hospital? Yeah, so we're, we still talk about the neuroscience, mm -hmm. and we talk about it in a way that makes sense for the kids and their yeah. families. You know, I think working with kids and families is such a privilege because you get to work with a complete system. And so much of what happens in general in it, working with pediatric populations is that the child or the adolescent might think that they are responsible for the challenges that they're facing. And that creates a whole other complex yeah. shame, guilt mm -hmm. that complicates the healing process, understanding. And so when we have the families involved and when we're teaching them these skills that help them find peace or a moment of ease when tensions are rising or yeah. somebody, there's a disagreement among siblings, you know, we get to practice these skills. And then we've heard from families that the child will tell the parents, Hey mommy, I think it's time to take a breath. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so working with the whole family or a caregiver mm -hmm. or anybody there who's sure. able to support and, you yeah. know, invested yeah. in supporting that child. Yeah. It's such a pleasure. And that's what we do. It's much of what we discussed, but it's fun. Yes. We have a lot of play involved Absolutely. and really emphasizing this idea that these skills that we're teaching you to regulate yourself, the effect is often amplified and more enjoyable when it's shared. Yeah. Absolutely. So co-regulation, yes. really, how can we distribute the burden or the pressure or the challenge amongst mm -hmm. others and share it and, yeah. and kind of rely on this ancient technology of connection and being social beings. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember I'm sitting here listening to you thinking about the work that you're doing with children. And I was reflecting of my first experience of this, of really mind body work. Yeah. And it was in 1976, my father had just died, he had a heart attack in front of me and died. Gosh. And so that's traumatizing, yeah. right? To any 10 year old. And so of course my mother finds a great therapist and I remember her so well. And I entered this group therapy program for young boys who were going through trauma. Yeah. We were all the same age and we would lay on the floor and she would walk us through these breathing techniques and these wow. mind body techniques back in the early seventies when I was 10 years old. And I think that wow. every day about that experience and how it sparked my initial interest in doing this and continuing that research and that yeah. with my patients today. So I think you're making an absolutely immeasurable impact on the children and the lives that you're touching both at Texas Children, really around the world, and also in Uvalde, where you're doing so much of the work with traumatized, really the city and the state of Texas. So I appreciate you so much for what you do. 
And I look up to you and I think that I would love to spend more time visiting and have you back. Maybe we need to do a series of podcasts on those, but thank you for coming in. I really, really appreciate you today. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Flowers, for having me. And I look forward to our kind of ongoing the dance, right? You bet. You, you never know what's going to come. And so we've begun. Yes. And absolutely. let's see where we go. I, yeah. I think a new journey is beginning. Yeah. And if you guys want to learn more about neuroplasticity and trauma work, please reach out to us at Jflowers Health Institute. You can find us at jflowershealth.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day. And thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. And I'd like to remind everyone watching or listening to us that there are numerous platforms to find our podcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Please share this episode on social media or with someone that you think could help. Absolutely. And we remind you also that a clear diagnosis is key to the most effective treatment possible. Yes, it is. See you next Thanks week. Thanks again, Robin. Thank yeah. you.